Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, live from Houston, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I gotta say, though, I was nearly in the latest uh, United incident on my way to Houston because, you know, we had a very nice flight. It took off on time. Everything was going just great. I didn't have Wi-Fi on the plane, though, and I landed right at halftime of Cavaliers-Celtics, and I, oh, wow. uh, I pull up my phone. Obviously, you know, a million text messages are coming through, and the score reads 61-35, and I ring my call button <laughs> immediately, and I'm like, look, we have to go back, and she's like, sir, we're taxiing. We, we can't do anything right now, and I'm like, no, no, we have to go back. We just have to go back. She's like, we're here in Houston. We're not going to go back to Los Angeles. I'm like, look, lady, I'm not talking about going back to Los Angeles. I'm talking about going backwards in time two quarters because this can't be happening. We cannot have Boston nearly doubling up Cleveland in the first uh, in the first game of uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. You don't know how many angry and, and uh you know, excited and exuberant emails I'm going to be getting at openfloormail at gmail.com. And at that point, she broke out the restraints. And, you know, thankfully, I, I made it to my hotel uh, after, you know, some uh, some uh, light uh, excuse making to, to get out of airport security. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, look, both you and I are on the road right now. And we we have had to clear some hurdles to do this podcast. You got to Houston and realized that you had forgotten your microphone. So you had to go out in the world in Houston and find a microphone. Real pro and- move. Yeah, it's all all part of the adventure. I am in Boston where for the last 45 minutes there's I'm there's like a club outside the window in my hotel. And so there's just been like thumping bass music uh that would have made for a really tough listen as a podcast. Uh but the music mercifully ended, and now we can talk about the Celtics. You're right. We do have a lot of Celtics emails, which, to their credit, I, I really do appreciate any Celtics fan who continued listening to us all year long. Stop and sucking up, Andrew. It Come certainly on. seems like there were a lot of them out there. But let's start here with Alex. He says, I'm sure lots of us C's fans are coming out of the woodwork right now. So I'll just pile on with you guys. Do you still think the Celtics are just a cute story? They beat Giannis Inc. in the first round. They beat the hottest team in the league in five games in the second round. And they just beat LeBron and the Cavs by 25. What else do they need to do for you to consider them actual contenders? What do you think, Ben? Well, you were there, so I'm interested in the firsthand account. I mean, the arena was rocking. The Celtics fans weren't just, you know, home alone emailing us. They were very loud in the building. <laughs> Did it remind you at all of the Verizon Center or no? Man, look, it's tough. It's tough going in there as a Wizards fan because just everything is cooler. The crowd was on one from the very beginning. And it's funny, when I was there, I was there for Game 7 last last year, and... um they game seven against the wizards that is and the crowd was there and it was full like 30 minutes beforehand and and it was wild um and that didn't happen this time it was mother's day it was a 330 tip and so like 20 minutes before the game i was kind of bummed out i was looking forward to like a wild afternoon at the garden and uh 
It just happened that it took a little bit longer for everyone to get to their seats, but the crowd delivered, and I think there, everyone was a little bit in shock at how easy it was today, and I don't know, I mean, you missed the first two quarters, but like the Celtics broke the game wide open in the first quarter and never really looked back. LeBron made a little bit of a dent in the third quarter, and the Celtics kind of got sloppy for about four or five minutes there, but... It was total domination from start to finish. Have no fear, Andrew. I caught up. I watched the entire game. And so I am, in one respect, I didn't get to see the takes people had in real time. So I am out of the loop on that. But I did see what happened on the court. They were the better team offensively by a long shot. And they were the only team that showed up defensively. So I don't know if that makes them contenders. I don't know if I'm ready to put them on Golden State's level yet. Uh, I'm sure that they can just, you know, take this quote out of context and run it in like a, you know, a a pregame hype video in their next thing and say, (laughs) you know, the Celtics aren't ready to play with the West best or or however you want to play it. But uh, I want to point out one thing really early on that I thought was smart from Brad Stevens. And if everyone already made this point, like just go ahead and cut me off halfway through. Uh, Marcus Morris, two quick fouls. And, you know, he gets the start. And, you know, we had talked on the last podcast. I was a little bit nervous. Hey, if you're really asking him to do a lot defensively on LeBron, uh, does that lead to foul trouble? Well, he's all amped up to get his uh, first playoff start. He gets two fouls in the first three minutes. And then Brad Stevens, rather than doing sort of the reflexive coach move of pull the guy out, sit him down, save him for later in the game, rides with Morris for like three more minutes, right? And Boston had... I mean, it was kind of a back-and-forth start there early, but Boston certainly was playing confident basketball, and I think if you take out Morris in that situation, you potentially get him overthinking about his fouls or you get him down you know, on himself. Uh, maybe you let LeBron get going offensively a little bit against a different matchup, and you also just throw your rotations off. And Stevens is one of these guys who's not a traditionalist when it comes to pulling guys off the court when they have foul trouble. I thought it was the right move. You look at the rest of the game, I think Morris had one foul the entire rest of the game, so it wasn't like mm-hmm. he was compromised in any way. Boston maintains that amazing momentum in the first quarter, and they never look back. So a little thing right off the, the top from Boston, but I, I really like that, and I think it paid dividends. It's a great point. I mean, the second that happened, I texted you, there goes the LeBron stopper. But you're right, he, he, he stayed in there, and I kind of did a double take when Stevens left him in there and did a nice job. Again, he's not going to really stop LeBron, but Marcus Morris did a good job as an impediment who made life more difficult. And then there were other things that the Celtics did defensively where they switched from the weak side and it, it like bring help defense, and the, I think structurally their roster has a lot of advantages because everyone is fast and can close out quickly and like half the roster is six eight and so they're just extremely switchable and I think that bothered LeBron too which you know so it wasn't just Marcus Morris but this is this is what we were talking about last week where this team structurally can really throw a lot at LeBron and is going to make his life very difficult. Yeah, he was playing a lot with his back to the basket, you know, out on the Mm -hmm. perimeter, and they were kind of content to let him to take some of those tough turnaround twos, and he never had a rhythm, you know, with his own shot, but he was also just kind of fueling pressure constantly on the dribble. He had tons of turnovers in different situations, but I just thought, I mean, did he go downhill to the basket basically at all, all game? I mean, if he did, it was, you know, a a limited number of times. And especially when you contrast that with 
basically just funneling to the rim for an entire series uh, against Toronto. It was really night and day. So definitely credit uh, Boston's team defense. It did seem like they were surprising him with some of their help. You know, I mean, there was one play in the third quarter. Jalen Brown kind of comes from the weak side and and deflects a pass. And LeBron turned right into him, didn't even see him coming. And uh, he mentioned, I know, in his post-game press conference about how he wants to go back and look at the tape and try to really decipher what they were doing in terms of where they were sending help, but uh, they outthought him. You know, you can't say that very often, but I thought Boston just sort of outthought LeBron uh, in the chess match in game one. Yeah, and it's funny with LeBron because throughout the game, I checked Twitter a handful of times, and there were a lot of people out on there saying, like, LeBron is just feeling out the the series and the matchup. And I understood that in the first quarter. I mean, watching him, you could tell he was kind of just – trying to see what he could do and and feel out the Celtics. But there was never really an adjustment for him. And uh, and maybe that's just because he was taking the entire game one to feel them out. And, and he'll come back and look completely different in game two. But yeah, like it was very clear the way the Celtics were going to guard him. And we, ne- we never saw him turn the corner and kind of like turn the tables on them and uh and make them uncomfortable and i don't know how much of that is boston's defense and how much of that is lebron kind of in autopilot mode right now yeah he seemed like he was conserving it was a little bit like game one against indiana where he was doing a little bit more feeling uh Mm -hmm. than my liking instead of playing i remember saying that about him in game one it felt like that but uh, you know even uh, to a greater degree. I mean, the, the one sequence that stands out to me is like beginning of the fourth quarter and he was asked about it and he went into like his Rain Man um, memory recall. <laughs> it was very, very funny in the press conference. Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, you were there. Was that? Were you just sitting there like slack-jawed, like here he goes? Is he showing off? I mean, what was it like in the building? Well, LeBron's press conference was interesting because there were moments where he got kind of testy with reporters. I don't know. Did you watch the entire thing? Of course, Andrew, you know me. I love the podiums. <laughs> of course. You're our very own Rain Man. Of course you watch the entire well, thing. Because the, the one reporter asked him about, you know, how Boston was playing more physical defense on the periphery. Yeah. He's like, oh, are you telling me that? Or were you out there playing? Like, he got real, like, real testy, like you said, uh, pushing back. Like, and I was like, LeBron, I don't know. They were objectively pretty physical, and it's a, it's a good defense. I don't think anybody was like... taking shots at you there but he got he got very testy there and then there were other moments where he he was asked for his concern levels and and he was basically said like i i my concern level is zero right now and i've not been here before and it's fine and it was kind of a swaggy move on his part uh so he's kind of it's 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 hard to read exactly where he's at right now but then to cap it off with him sitting there for a full two minutes and reciting like every detail, it was like he had the play-by-play chart in front of him, and uh, it it was kind of it was kind of nice. It broke the tension in the interview room because nobody was sure what where LeBron's head was, and then uh, at the end, it just got so ridiculous that everybody kind of burst out laughing, and I think there are a couple of reporters who applauded, and it was just a, it was a nice little moment. Yeah, who who applauded, Andrew? Can we call them out? I mean, <laughs> not me, not me, but yes, there were some well, some people who were upset that there was applause in the interview room. 
So if people haven't seen the clip, go look on my Twitter. It's incredible. Uh, he runs down. Basically, Boston has a 7-0 run to start the fourth quarter. And that was, to me, clearly the turning point of the game. And it was the most random thing during that sequence that I thought turned the whole game. I don't know if you remember this, but like Tristan Thompson's falling out of bounds. He throws the ball back. Uh, and Mark uh, Marcus Morris kind of deflects it and it winds up going off Cleveland. So Boston keeps possession. And mm-hmm. then they inbound the ball straight to Marcus Smart. He hits a corner three. Uh, and that kind of was a sort of backbreaking yeah. momentum type game uh, swing right there. If you look at LeBron's body language during that sequence, he's frustrated that it kind of didn't go their way. And then he's kind of off and sort of, uh, I don't know, in his own little world, just sort of thinking underneath the basket. And obviously he's going to be, uh, I guess, daring or encouraging Marcus Smart to shoot threes. But Marcus Smart was his guy. He wasn't even close to him. He was super late on the closeout. Uh, and, you know, it was right in his face. So to me, that was sort of the moment where LeBron kind of checked out for the rest of the game. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that uh, they had gotten it all the way down to 14. And if he was going to take over, if he was going to start doing the, uh, you know, the the come from behind acts we've seen so many times in these other games where he just starts going to the basket time after time, I felt like that deflection followed by the three-pointer basically snuffed it out. So you talked about LeBron's body language in that moment. Can I tell you about my body language there? Well, as long as you weren't cheering, standing up and clapping or, you know, begging to be uh, indoctrinated into the Brad Stevens cult, I mean, sure, go ahead. Well, I watched the game among the fans with a couple NBA friends, and uh, so I was I was in the clear to cheer, for the record. However, I after that smart three, I just started cackling, and really that was my reaction to pretty much everything Marcus Smart did well on offense for the entire second half, because he had another really nice game, and I can't help it, I just... I find every made Marcus Smart jumper hilarious, and he had a Euro step on a fast break that he, again, finished. I just, there's something about that dude. Offensively, he's he's such a mess, and yet he has found a way to be really, really effective for the last two weeks, and I still don't totally trust it, but... The, the bottom line is Boston becomes a lot harder to beat if he's like a real contributor on offense. And, and then we can, we should talk about Tatum and Jalen Brown because they were great as well. But I love Marcus Smart. Yeah, Boston's going to be hard to beat if LeBron has his worst game of the playoffs. The Cavs miss their first whatever, 13 right. three-pointers. <laughs> Every single Boston player goes nuts from the field. Uh, and, you know, basically none of Cleveland's supporting guys really show up and have a big game. They're going to be tough to beat in that situation. <laughs> so let's, uh, that's a group, that's a very fair point, okay? I think that we can say confidently that Cleveland is not going to be nearly as hopeless from the perimeter as they were in game one, and Boston is not going to be lights out the way they were on Sunday. However, I just want to say, to, to circle back to Alex's question, I think with this Boston team, I don't feel bad at all for, for deeming them a cute story for most of the year because, you know, they didn't really have the pieces to, to beat really good teams. And uh, and I don't think any, anyone claiming they did was was pretty crazy and uh and there were a lot of smart people who looked at this and came to the same conclusions which is that we need to wait till next year to have the title contender conversation with Boston and that I think is still probably true but 
for all the talk of next year, I, there is something with this team where I think what makes them great is already here. And the, like Kyrie and Hayward will help them in matchups with the Warriors or the Rockets or whoever they play at the top of the league. But we're kind of seeing the bones of this team right now. And that's just a, a group of seven or eight guys who can switch on defense and make life very, very difficult. And uh, and now that Tatum is emerging as a dependable threat offensively, and Jalen Brown is lights out from three, which that part I don't think is a fluke. I mean, he's been hitting threes the entire playoff run. Uh, like, this is already a really, really good team. And the only reason they're not actual contenders, and to use the questioner's uh, language is because Houston and Golden State are elite and on a completely different level. But like, I am completely sold on on what Boston has and what they're trying to do. Yeah, you know, one thing I'd say, you know, Dwayne Casey gets fired up in Toronto, and the immediate reaction is uh, LeBron gets him fired, right? Losing to LeBron's the reason why he got fired. I don't agree with that. I mean, it was the way that they lost, the self combustion mm-hmm. factor, the fact that they beat themselves, you know, mentally and then on the court strategically and just, you know, lost control of the rope to borrow every coach's favorite cliche, right? <laughs> they just completely went boom and that yeah, made it a pretty easy they folded. And they that made it easy for Masayu Jiri to decide, hey look, we need to find a different coach to figure this out. The the contrast is completely stark. Boston will not beat themselves. They might not play as well as they did in game one on either end. Uh, they may not win another game in this series by that margin. But they're not going to beat themselves. They are going to stick to the script. They are going to play you know, the, the way they've been playing with their two main guys, if you want to call them that, Hayward and Irving, out for months. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not some team that's like scrapping together guys you know, off the scrap heap. I mean, they've got a deep, uh, you know, a fairly deep rotation, yeah. and they're cohesive. And they really showed it. I mean, I thought – I said this earlier, one team showed up to play on defense. I mean, Cleveland was not getting stops. I mean, they were dodging bullets. You know, if Boston right. didn't score, it was because, you know, someone was left wide open on a shot or, you know, just it rattled out or, you know, I mean, it was never a situation where Cleveland's like suffocating them, forcing all these like, <laughs> you know, forcing all these turnovers or like forcing super low percentage shots or whatever. I mean, Boston was getting really, really good looks. So it didn't surprise me that, you know, so many of their guys shot well and, I think that this series will hinge on how much of that Cleveland can clean up because LeBron's going to come yeah. back. He's going to be more assertive. Their offense is going to look much better when they get back to Cleveland, but they have to play significantly better defensively as a team. Cleveland does. Uh, otherwise, Boston's got enough different guys who can chip in offensively to really make you pay. Yeah, I have a couple different reactions to what you just said. Number one, you mentioned the Raptors. I think we can say pretty confidently that the Raptors were the ones who took the biggest loss on Sunday because (laughs) that Cleveland team does not look great. It looks a lot closer to the team we saw against the Pacers. And, you know, Toronto kind of rejuvenated them to an extent that I don't know if any other team in the league could have done it because I think there's just something about that Raptors team that brings out the confidence in Cleveland and again Cleveland matches up really well with them but man it's you gotta feel pretty rough if you're a Raptors fan no question here's a question for you on that 
does Masai win because he fired Dwayne Casey before this series and like his so. his decision looks smart or should he have waited until after game one so that no one would have questioned him so he didn't have yeah, to deal with airtight 24 hours decision making that would have been one approach um yeah I don't know I I think there's no question that uh Casey I to me that that whole thing like I understand that he's a really good guy, and uh, and I think he did some really great things in Toronto. But the idea that that was a controversial move was kind of baffling to me. Um, so we don't need yeah. to spend too much time. I on mean, it. can you can you imagine Brad Stevens coming out and saying, you know, my team just got the yips. You know, like he just wouldn't do that with the whole season on the line and with a fragile team like Casey had. I mean. To me, that was the moment where it was time to move forward for the You know what the moment was for me is when it was in the exit press conference with Dwayne Casey where he said, yeah, we lost 4-0 this year, and yeah, we lost 4-0 last year, but this year's 4-0 was a little bit different, and I think we made progress. And like I heard that, and something about that just made me think, like, this poor guy, this this franchise is just broken, and every it would be best for everyone to start fresh with some with a different voice. Sometimes that's what you need. No doubt. I mean, there was another one actually. I think it might have been after Game Three where he was talking about how the Raptors had won the East, and then he like paused and thought about it, and he was like, "Well, during the regular season, because like he meant that they had the number one seed, and, like they hadn't really won the East. You know, right. they were on their way out of the playoffs. But yeah, they." Uh, Anyway, enough Raptors talk. It's, the, yeah, oh, actually, it's tough. no, five more seconds of Raptors talk. Jalen Brown did more in game one than DeRozan's done in his last 10 games against LeBron. Yes, he was phenomenal. Um, and <laughs> moving on from the Raptors altogether, because I don't even want to think about DeRozan right now. But Jalen Brown, man, here, we got a question from TJ. TJ from New York says, is it possible that Jason Tatum is underrated? Could he not? Could he be not 10-time All-Star, not 12-time All-Star, but 20-time All-Star Jason Come Tatum? On. And my response to that is that Jason Tatum is absolutely not underrated. I feel like every NBA conversation I've had for the last two weeks has started with like mutual disbelief at how good Jason Tatum is. But I think Jalen Brown is the one who is becoming underrated because he is great defensively and he has turned himself into a like 42 or 43% three-point shooter. And uh, I mean, that's like as valuable a role player as you're going to find in the NBA. And maybe he could be more than that. I don't really know. I don't necessarily see that. But as a winning player, like you're you're going to be hard-pressed to do better than Jalen Brown. Okay, so when you call him a, a valuable role player, I mean, is this like a Kevin Durant valuable role player? Like, <laughs> I mean, you don't you have a loose, uh, you know, relationship with that phrase. I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean, he's just perfect for what he's asked to do in Boston. Like, he defends his ass off, and then he turns around, and he can hit open threes. And also, I mean, some of those threes were contested today, and he has just, like... It's almost like he's been designed in a lab to be the perfect modern wing. And uh, he doesn't have much shake to his game, which I think that's where Tatum is better and probably more valuable going forward. But uh, so he's not going to really like create one on one. But man, as a cog in the Brad Stevens offense, he's just perfect. Yeah, and you know he was he got a couple turnovers on LeBron, you know at various points. I yeah, think you, you give him some credit for keeping LeBron sort of off balance in Game One. Um, I guess well, I'm was... curious though, if we flip this around, I mean, how much more do you think 
LeBron's going to be able to do uh, against this group of wing defenders because we've mentioned Morris, uh, Jalen got some time on him, you know, Tatum here and there, Smart, and then I think Horford, you know, spot, you know, spot possessions yeah. here and there. I mean, uh, how much more do you think LeBron can do? Because coming into the series, the assumption is he can get 35 no matter what. Well, he didn't in game one, you know, and he didn't necessarily max out effort wise. But uh, he didn't look fully engaged. Once he is fully engaged, what do you see from him? Uh, I mean, that's sort of the question. My takeaway watching it today is that this team, because you'd see like Jalen Brown flying in from the weak side and bothering Love uh, in the post and then bothering LeBron. Even in, even when they're not like guarding them one on one necessarily, but just getting in those passing lanes, which the Cavs use to pick people apart with that skip pass and hit threes, like all of that was disrupted today, and I think it's all going to continue to be disrupted just because that's kind of the way the Celtics are built. So, to me, I think it's going to take some epic LeBron games uh, going forward for Cleveland to actually win this series. I mean, he's going to have to be like flat out incredible because there's no real weakness in this Celtics defense. And that's one of the other things that I wanted to, to mention. It's like, you can convince me it's a cute story on offense where everyone is kind of playing above their heads, but defensively, none of this is a fluke. I mean, like they are going to be really, really tough on Braun. And I like watching it today. Granted, it's one game. It's just hard to imagine him suddenly looking dominant against this defense, which may look stupid in in three or four days, but that's sort of where I am. Yeah, and I didn't think they played that far over their heads because, again, like I said, they were generating lots of high-quality looks and, and some wide-open shots. I mean, you mentioned that you know some of Jalen Brown's three-pointers were contested. Well, this is the Eastern Conference Finals. All of his three-pointers should be contested. You know, Cleveland, <laughs> there was one. They didn't have a guy within 15 feet of him. He's shooting from the left corner. I mean, come on, guys. Like, you can't have that happen and, and consistently expect to dodge enough bullets to win a series. And, you know, in terms of Cleveland's margin for error, like, usually – you know, within a series, we'll say, look, LeBron's going to have one or two games. There's just nothing you can do against him, right? Like those are just, right. you have to chalk those up as wins. It kind of goes the flip way too, right? Like if LeBron turns in another game like game one, I don't see any formula for Cleveland winning that game, right? Like if, if he's, I mean, I would give him what, like a C or a C minus, maybe a yeah. D on LeBron's scale. Like if he turns in another one of those, Boston will be, uh, will be Cleveland because they don't beat themselves. So yeah. Um, and I, I guess now that he, Hearing you talk about it, I guess the the blueprint for LeBron is to get Marcus Morris into foul trouble, maybe get Horford into foul trouble as well, and Kevin Love can help there, and just like bully Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because I don't think those guys can guard him one on one full time, um, and and that's completely feasible and he could do that and and go off for 30 or 40 and and look incredible but like beyond that it is it is just going to be tough sledding because the rest of the role players what would freak me out if I were a Cleveland fan is that the rest of that roster just looks so gassed right now and it really was like a, a flashback to the Indiana series and uh I don't know I mean they're they're like they're going to need help. They're going to need more than just LeBron. Yeah, they need their shooters back. I mean, the, the 
the court was tight and because they never opened it up because they couldn't hit anything for basically the entire first half. And that makes a big difference because that really helps to get LeBron going too. And I think if it was a situation where they had shot better, we would have seen a more aggressive LeBron late in that game. But because they weren't shooting very well, he kind of went into this back down mode or like this one-on-one stuff. And I don't think that's the way you're going to beat Boston. You know, I think we've seen LeBron lose to teams like the Spurs before when he tries to go to that mode. And you know, if he's attracting that extra attention and guys just aren't hitting shots or guys are out there, they're not confident. And I think there was, you know, some of that going around with Cleveland. I mean, they seem just generally stunned, you know, a little bit, like just taken yeah. aback by the the entire moment there. Um, that'll probably wear off as the season go, uh, this series goes on. But, uh, you know, I don't think LeBron's going to beat the Celtics just playing this back down game and, and the turnaround jumpers and all that stuff. I think there's going to need to be more face up, you know, collapse the defense, get right. to the free throw line drive and kick type stuff and they just didn't really have that in game one can i tell you one person who was not overwhelmed by the moment oh boy i think i know who you're gonna talk my guy rodney hood came to play all right ty Lu finally gave him another chance we are bouncing back from the uh debacle in game four of the raptors series and he looked okay i hope that he gets more looks going forward how serious are you right now i mean honestly <laughs> are, are you serious because i was watching the tape back and yeah. jeff van gundy is doing exactly what you were doing right now he's like they got to start roddy hood in the second half this is great <laughs> really? and then like yeah he was going like really hard about how rodney hood they just need someone who van can open gundy, up the defense yeah, he's going to shoot. He's going to be a ball-handling presence. Like He's just like singing Rodney Hood's praises. But then at the bottom of the screen, they flashed Hood's stats, and it was two for six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was pretty fired up and then looked up at halftime, and I think he had uh, either five or seven points. But look, that's that's all right. This this was step one. That's like one. 45 on his, on his uh, playoff scale, though. Yes, we heard from a lot of listeners about the Rodney Hood game, and I just want to be very clear. This was not necessarily the Rodney Hood game. I think that I a, hope a, a real Rodney Hood game is coming. It would be pretty appropriate for his season if the Rodney Hood game came in a 25-point humiliating Cavs loss. But I have higher hopes, and I look... The Cavs are going to need it because like guys like Korver, everybody was just kind of a zero today. And uh, they need a little bit of athleticism in there to deal with those Celtics wings because the Celtics are very much not the Raptors. Can we do one more Celtics question before we move on? Well, I want to say real quickly on Cleveland's bench, you know, another guy who maybe had a, a tougher night, Clarkson. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it seemed like Boston, like anytime Clarkson was on the court and sort of trying to play perimeter defense, like they were just like going straight at him. I mean, another situation where like, you know, game plans help, you know, having a, a coach who knows exactly what the opposing weakest points are and kind of trying to exploit them. I mean, I think Tatum got him once going end to end in transition, but um, that was just, you know, one more thing for Cleveland to worry about. It was like, you know, they were seeking Clarkson out for sure. Yeah, well, and that actually is a nice little segue into this question. Colin asks, is it crazy to believe that perhaps Kyrie and Hayward don't necessarily move the needle as much as people think? Now, Ben, this is something that I raised during the Sixers series, and I think it's a complicated thing because you could certainly go like full hot take and say absolutely not like trade Kyrie trade Hayward they're they're expendable 
et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's obviously kind of insane. However, I do think in this series, taking Kyrie off the floor removes someone that the Cavs could hunt to try and get someone going and get the offense going. Right now, the Celtics series does, or the, right now, the Celtics defense has no weaknesses, and uh, and that makes life more complicated for for the Cavs. And I think the argument for having Kyrie and Hayward is in a matchup against the Warriors or the Rockets, and and uh, basically you have those guys for the finals. Yeah, this is a weird question because Colin, who emailed it in, wasn't emailing this to hate on Kyrie and uh, Hayward, which mm-hmm. that's who you would think would ask this question, right? Oh, they're not really that good. They're replaceable. I think he's trying to say that all the guys who are on the court right now, basically they're so good you don't even need them. And yeah. that to me seems a little ludicrous. I mean, not just <laughs> in the matchup with the best in the West, but Look, you're not going to miss Kyrie when you're at home with the crowd going nuts, with all the momentum, with LeBron playing the field-out game, with your team shooting 51% from the field. You know, you're hitting your threes outside as well. Like, that's not when you're going to miss Kyrie. You're going to miss Kyrie when you go to game three in Cleveland and some of these role guys aren't hitting their shots. Or finally, you know, a couple of these guys who have been playing so well uh, are struggling. And then Kyrie can give you that huge offensive takeover momentum. So I think there'd be a lot of ways for you know, him to be able to exert himself in this series. The other thing I'd say is Boston, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they're playing team basketball offensively and defensively. And in the minutes, LeBron's not going to be on the court. I would watch those minutes very carefully because, you know, Boston just executes so much better as a team in Cleveland without LeBron. I mean, they don't execute very well uh, on either end. And if you had Hayward and Irving into that mix, you'd be in a situation where LeBron just couldn't come off the court in this series. I mean, he'd literally have to play 46, 47 minutes every single game because otherwise you'd be losing those minutes without him so badly you wouldn't stand a chance. So uh, I challenge the premise of this question. I see where you're trying to go with it, but I think you're doing too much. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I'm just saying that I talked to people today around the team who were saying basically like, Kyrie is great and Kyrie is necessary if a title is ever going to be realistic, but the way the team is constructed now has been a really tough matchup for the Sixers and it's going to be really tough on the Cavs. And uh, I think there's something to that. So uh, let me ask you this though. Does your opinion of this series change? Are you still, are you sticking with Cavs and six after today? I hate changing my opinion, so I'm going to go down with the ship. But Boston played as impressive of a game one as you can play. I mean, there yeah. there is there is nothing I could see out there to say, oh, but or you know, let's let's kind of hold this against them or whatever. I mean, I think they they did every single thing that they wanted to do, and Cleveland succeeded on so few levels. You know, I mean, if you're Ty Lue, your your positives game tape tonight will be short. <laughs> <laughs> There's not going to be too much that you're really excited about. Yeah, and you know, we have spent the last 30 minutes giving the Celtics all kinds of credit and rationalizing the way they perform today and I I understand there are real reasons that that we are here and that they are this good but you take a step back and I did this several times throughout game one it is fucking incredible (laughs) that they beat that team that badly I mean look three weeks ago this team was like 
neck and neck with the Bucks, and I think a lot of people around the NBA expected Giannis to be the difference in that series. So there's a, some of this that just can't be explained and is one of the crazier things that has happened in recent NBA history. So we'll see how long it goes. But Well, one of the dumbest things that I said, or and maybe we even agreed on this, was that like we kind of hoped Milwaukee would get Boston because that would give them a chance in the first round. Like yeah. Now, lo- looking back, wouldn't they rather have played anybody, <laughs> maybe even including Cleveland, uh, you know, potentially? I mean, it's crazy. look at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they if they took Boston to seven and, you know, Philly's going to go out in five, we don't know what's going to happen in this series. But it, it does make you think like, you know, Milwaukee, Toronto, I mean, that might have gone a different direction, you know? Well, listen, Ben, it's time to move to the West and we got to hit the lottery and play the lottery simulator a couple times. But first, can you talk to me about hair loss? I, I can, Andrew, and I was thinking, <laughs> have you. you ever been to Tijuana? Uh, I haven't. Have you heard about Tijuana? Of course, yeah. Okay, I mean, it's known for a lot of, you know, very sketchy uh, different activities, but one of the things they have there is really sketchy pharmacies, Andrew. I mean, they'll give you any pill out of generic bottles. I mean, there's just no rules, regulations, or anything like that, and I'm here to tell you about the opposite of Tijuana, Andrew. It's called Four Hymns dot com f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com andrew did you know that 66 percent of men lose their hair by age 35 and the thing is by the time you really start to notice hair loss it's way too late it's easier to just keep the hair you have than to try to replace the hair you've lost do you have any bald spots is your hairline moving further and further back andrew is it creeping up up your forehead slowly but surely (laughs) What happens in a year from now if you keep losing your hair? You will be bald, Andrew. You do not want that, and we have a solution for you. Forhims.com, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. Sorry, ladies. Thanks to science, baldness can now be optional. That's right. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat your hair loss well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. There are no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. These are prescription solutions backed by science. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to 4 It's very easy and all you have to do is answer a few quick questions and a doctor will review and prescribe you. And to make it even easier on you, all of the products are shipped directly to your door. Instead of Tijuana, we ship directly to you, or 4 Hims does. Um, so order now. Our listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to forhims.com slash floor. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash floor. Go to that website, cash in on that deal. And that's what's so great about it, Andrew. It's no snake oil pills, no gas station supplements, no Tijuana dark alleys, none of it. Just really quality pills to take care of your bald spot, Andrew. I love it. All right, let's move to the Western Conference Finals for a little bit. We talked a lot about this last week, so we don't need to go over it too much. But 
do you have any lingering thoughts here? We've had the weekend to look at this series, and where's your head at right now as you sit there in Houston? I'm pretty excited for this series. Um, I don't know if you saw the line. I think it opened with Houston as a favorite for game one. What would really? you make wow. of that? That's pretty uh, wild, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There have been a lot of like strange lines throughout these playoffs. I mean, this, the Sixers were favored in, I, I believe, every single game of that Celtics series. And the, the Raptors were seven-point favorites in each of the first two games in Raptors-Cavs. So, like, I don't really trust Vegas that much, uh, but it would be in keeping with the theme for this year if Vegas was completely wrong about game one as well. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that we mentioned on the last podcast was Golden State disguising their lineups, not really breaking out that Hamptons 5 group against Houston during the regular season. And if you look at Houston's lineups during the playoffs – They've almost always had a big on the court. Mm-hmm. So you can make the counter argument to what we were saying earlier, which is, okay, Golden State's you know been playing with one hand tied behind their back. Once they break out their top five guys, it's going to shock the world. But you can go the other way too and say, look, Houston arguably uh, hasn't played their most potent group that much during the postseason or that much against Golden State. So we don't really know what their ceiling could be either. Um, I think my biggest concern for this series would be that uh, for whatever reason, Houston just doesn't show up because my expectations are through the roof. You know, I'm expecting a really, really good series. I'm expecting something that will challenge a lot of the narratives around this Houston franchise. Uh, the mood down here in the city seems pretty good. You know, some confidence. Really? I mean, it's. Do they it's, even it's, pay attention to the Rockets? I, I'm convinced they, that like 75% of Houston doesn't even realize the Rockets exist. Look, I'll be honest. I saw a lot of Astros jerseys today. I think the Astros <laughs> play today. Didn't see any Hardens or CP3 jerseys while I was walking around. But I think that there's, you know, a certain level of confidence. And like we mentioned earlier, you know, they're backed into the wall. They they know everyone's assuming Golden State's just going to wallop them, right? And so yeah. uh, either the team responds and the fan base gets behind them or they roll over. And I'm just hoping it's the first, not the second. Can I tell you something? I am worried about the Rockets in part because I think that they're going to get their ass kicked by the Warriors. Um, Oh, dear. But we went over this last week. But now, listening to you talk about this, I mean, look, you flew to Houston. You don't travel often, so this this is kind of a bigger deal. Your expectations are high, and I'm worried about the way that you are going to respond to the Rockets' disappointment that is coming within the next 24 hours and really continuing for the next 10 days or so because I just don't see this ending well for Houston and I think it's going to end with you swearing off the Rockets forever. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Look, it can't be worse than the Spurs last year, okay? I mean, I sat through the four games of that. We had (laughs) a fake retirement by Manu. We had Kawhi Leonard get undercut by Zaza. We had Popovich give us one great press conference and then the rest of the series they basically uh, disappeared. We had LaMarcus Aldridge go completely MIA and just like, I think he probably demanded the trade like halfway through game three. You know, I don't think he even waited for the summer. Yeah. Uh, and then somehow he uh, miraculously turned that into an extension. Uh, I mean, I was spending some of that series like hanging out with whooping cranes only to find out the whooping cranes <laughs> were in Canada at that point. I mean, look, we've seen Golden State embarrass a lot of people. Uh, the one thing I would note uh, during their current western conference dominance look if they win this series they'll be the first team since the uh, showtime lakers in 1985 to win the conference four times in a row i mean that's unbelievable san antonio's never uh, done it Shaq and kobe didn't do it i mean that's truly special but 
when you look back at their series, they've only had to play game seven once. They've only had to play game six twice, right? So um, if even if the Rockets push them to a game six, uh, that is a you know that's almost a win, right? And that's a weird standard to to be applying, but it's true. And if you look at since Kevin Durant's been there. Uh, you know, they've lost three games total in the playoffs. You know, they right. lost one to Cleveland and they've lost, you know, one they kind of handed out to, uh, you know, New Orleans uh, and in their first round series as well. So uh, these are steep odds for the Rockets. My point is just this. They're the only team that has a shot, uh, I think, to take down Golden State this season. And uh, I, all signs are positive. If you look back at Houston's, you know, first uh, two rounds uh, of performance, I thought their defense really was uh, excellent. You know, I talk about five guys playing together con- continually, consistently, taking away opposing star players, making their lives difficult. Houston did that. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, nothing. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler, you know, knee injury, uh, you know, that, that could have affected things, but he was not sensational in that first-round series. Wiggins was Wiggins. I mean, you know, that's not going to be something you celebrate, really. But look at the second round. Donovan Mitchell looked a lot better against Oklahoma City than he did against Houston. So, their defense has shown up in a big way. Now, does that mean they're going to be able to stop the Hamptons five? I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows. Okay, good. So you, this is your official pledge to not flip out on the Rockets, Raptors style, if things go to shit in the next, like, six days. Oh, because I don't think Houston's going to beat themselves. I mean, that's okay. the thing. Like, we gave Cleveland a lot of credit. We gave LeBron a lot of credit for what he did to Toronto. But my point was the same one that I made earlier about, you know, the Dwayne Casey thing. Toronto was uh, a completely uh, willing and active participant in their own demise. I mean, yeah. you look all across the board, they blew up. And I don't think that that's what's going to happen to Houston. I mean, if they get run off the court and lose by 30 every game, it's because Golden State just ramped it all the way up and they have three of the best four players or you know five of the best seven players on in the game. And, and that's yeah. no real shame in that. If you look at Toronto and, and Cleveland side by side, I still maintain talent-wise, Toronto's right there. And, you know, they should have been able to do a lot more. And so from that standpoint, you would react to the, if they get swept, you would react totally different to Houston getting swept than Toronto getting swept. Okay. Well, so that is sort of my next question. Um, and I don't mean to continue to be this down on the on the Rockets. And but you I, obviously I, do because it's your thing. No, no, no. I hope that I'm wrong. I really do. It would be awesome if this were a shootout that goes six or seven games, which a lot of really smart people, you included, are predicting it to be. I just don't see it going that way. So if it doesn't work out, and it, and if Houston is clearly outclassed, I'm wondering how that affects the Rockets' plans from here. Because Chris Paul is a free agent this summer and could leave, number one. Number two would He's be not gonna leave. really, really expensive to bring back. You, you don't think there's any possibility that he leaves if the Rockets just get their doors blown off in the next two weeks, and, it, and it's a four or five game series. No, I don't, because, I mean, he's got a family. You don't want to be moving these guys around. I mean, he's not a journeyman, you know, <laughs> and this is the second best situation, all things considered, in the NBA, right? Like, where else are you going to find a better situation than Houston? I don't think you're going to find it. The pairing with Harden has been excellent. We've been through all of the regular season accomplishments. Like I said, they've played well here in the postseason. Uh-huh. Uh, it's going to get expensive, but their their owner's brand new. He's going to spend the money. He wants to, you know, take his shot. I mean, he's yeah, uh, he's glad to be at the party. I mean, that's the time when you want to have a new owner who's who's willing to pay the huge luxury tax and everything else because you have to keep this group together. I mean, to me, I, I think that they would not 
have a very significant offseason in terms of major moves. You know, I think that they would have to pay to keep Capella, pay to keep Chris Paul. Well, that's what and... I'm wondering. It's going to be really expensive to keep both of those guys. And if you come out of this Golden State series with an obvious like reminder that you are far away from the Warriors, I wonder if that changes the way Tillman Fertitta, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It sounds like breakfast food, but like the way he looks at the payroll or the way Maury looks at it or the way Chris Paul looks at it. I don't know. I, th- I think we're closer to the edge with this Rockets team than I think some people realize. Well, have you seen his ads with like the, the luxury vehicles he's posing in front of like, you know, he, this guy's all about money. I mean, he's got so much money at his casino in Las Vegas. He's paying out bets. If the, if, you, if you if the Warriors if you bet on the Warriors to win the Western Conference because he owns the Rockets he couldn't uh, take bets on the Rockets you, he is already paying out your bets for the Warriors winning the West I mean that says to me he's going to be able to pay the luxury tax to keep you know to what, keep Frank Capella <laughs> he's definitely not doing that by choice okay you don't become a billionaire like several times over by just willfully giving away money and what I'm saying is I don't know if he's going to willfully spend. million to keep a second place team together. Why? I mean, if if Golden State, if if Steph has his knee sprain a month later, now you're the first place team, right? Okay. I mean, why why wouldn't you do it? I mean, this is this is your window, and this is what Daryl Morey's been saying for five years. But I think it's true. Like they had a limited amount of time to build around James Harden, right? The clock was ticking the whole way through. Harden's going to be this good for what two, three or more, uh, three more years. Yeah. And he may not have a better season statistically than the ones he's had these past two seasons. If he wins MVP this year, he may never win MVP again, right? So. Uh, if you're not paying now, you know why not? They've waited, you know, twenty something years to get back to this point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to to be in this kind of situation where they can challenge to go for the finals. I mean, there's a reason why Akeem Olajuwon is going to every single one of these games, and Clyde Drexler's doing interviews. All these guys are coming out of the woodwork. Like, this is Clutch City's time, you know. And if it doesn't work out and you finish second, oh well. I don't think that means you give up and and you say, oh, we took our shot and now we're going to get cheap. I just don't think it's going to go that way. Yeah, and that is certainly one way to look at it. To me, I'm just catching a lot of Raptors vibes where we spent 12 months talking about this team. And if you go out and are very clearly outclassed, it's hard to just bring the whole group back the next year and act like everything's all good. The, the, The other thing I wanted to mention is it, it will be really nice, not to bring it back to the Celtics, but it will be really cool next year to be able to talk about the title and like the, the various scenarios in play and have like a healthy Celtics team. Because next year, if Steph gets hurt, it's not a guarantee that the Rockets win because that just means that we have a kick-ass Rockets-Celtics series, potentially. Or... The Sixers may be in the mix if they can get Paul George, or Cleveland could be in the mix all over again if LeBron can get Paul George and LeBron stays in Cleveland this summer. So I'm just really excited. Instead of having two teams orbiting each other all year to decide the title, next year it will be closer to three or four, and it should be pretty great. Okay, you're sucking me into your hypothetical, but I'd say this. If Houston were to get swept in embarrassing fashion by Golden State, uh-huh. it would be more analogous to what happened to the Raptors last year, right? Yes. Where not it wouldn't be the Raptors this year. So you would you would run it back. And the other thing I'd say is 
you can make cases that Houston's top three guys are better than anyone on Toronto's roster, right? So therefore, their ceiling is significantly higher than Toronto's, and their desire to keep things together would be greater than Toronto's as well, right? Yeah. I mean, even in a best-case scenario, Toronto was going to need some help this year. For you know, A lot of stuff was going to have to go their way for them to be in that contender conversation, and it didn't. Uh, right. Fewer things have, have to help Houston to get there. Uh, next season. I mean, they have other moves that they could make too, right? Like Ryan Anderson, like he's getting closer to being a piece where if you attach a draft pick to him or a couple of draft picks or uh, however <laughs> else you, <laughs> however else you're going to unload them. Like if money becomes an issue, I don't think that you're going to skimp on Chris Paul there, or Clint yo, Capella, right? If they can move Ryan Anderson, there's no question you bring everyone back. And, and I'm, to be clear, I'm not saying that they're, even if they lose this series, even if they get their ass kicked, I'm not saying that they're in the same position as Toronto, but it's it's similar in that the Houston's roster is going to be twice as expensive as Toronto's would be. And so it just is like, it's a lot to consider, um, but you're right. Well, if, they, if they can move Ryan Anderson, all of this becomes moot. And of course you bring okay. this team back. If LeBron doesn't make the finals and Houston gets swept by Golden State, the only move is for LeBron to opt in and force a trade to the Rockets. That's what I think should happen if these hypotheticals that you're throwing out there uh, unfold as you're uh, as you're laying out. Okay. Um, well, let's move on to the lottery very quickly. And we got a question from Aurelian who said, I was re-listening to some old podcast because ben told us to i don't know when you told people to do that but um you don't have we had that (laughs) we had that one listener who said he was always tired when he was listening so i said no you need to listen a second time when you're wide awake (laughs) and that goes for people who are you know listening while working and not fully concentrating if you're not locked into open floor from you know the little uh, swoosh sound effect at the start until the very end when we shamelessly ask for five-star reviews you have to listen again, Andrew. Yeah, double it's down. mandatory. <laughs> Absolutely. So Aurelian continues to say, at the start of the playoffs, open floor ranked the best days of the NBA calendar, and I noticed one omission. Lottery night. How does open floor rank lottery night? Since a third of the league spent the entire season preparing for the lottery, don't you think it's disrespectful to not even mention such an important night? Um, here's the thing. Lottery night is fun for exactly eight minutes. So it's hard to put it on the same level as NBA free agency, NBA trade deadline, NBA game one of the NBA finals. I forget some of the other ones that we threw out as the best days of the year. Christmas is definitely up there as well. Uh, even though it's not a real holiday, according to Kyrie Irving, but I love the lottery, and I'm really, really psyched for Tuesday night. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this was another thing where the logistics of being a writer got in the way of what might objectively be one of the NBA's better nights because logistically the lottery occurs when I'm at a Western Conference Finals game every single year. It's like right before the game starts, and you're trying to scramble to put together a quick you know, news and analysis piece right before you go out and watch a game. So it's not ideal from a workflow standpoint. So that's right. why I would, it's more stress than fun, I guess, when you're in the middle of it. Uh, but I mean, there's so many of them that you can remember. Like you remember where you were when the Pelicans got Anthony Davis, you know, and everyone's throwing out the conspiracy theories. Oh, Stern rigged it. Uh, <laughs> you know, Cleveland winning like 14 times in a row. Every single one of those was memorable. Uh, there's been a lot of them. And so I'm, I'm with you. It is one of the better moments. Uh, it's just, you know, not like a top five thing for me because, 
you know, it's stress, not, uh, not relaxation, not, you know, letting your mind wander because then you have to go out and immediately, you know, shift focus and, and yeah. try to f- figure out what Golden State's doing against James Harden tomorrow night. I was pretty heartbroken when the Pelicans got Anthony Davis. The Wizards were in the mix that year, and uh, and there was such a steep drop-off after Anthony Davis. Bradley Beal has turned out to be great, but it was also like Andre Drummond, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. That was the year Waiters. I, I, I think he went fourth. Um, but it was just it was a weird draft after Anthony Davis, who was very clearly a future Hall of Famer, even at 19 years old. Um, so that was rough. Yeah, I mean, that's when careers are made and broken, right? I mean, you get Anthony Davis and your franchise is, you know, on the upswing exactly. however many years later. You look at, I mean, Rich Cho and, and, the, and the Hornets, they get number two. They go Kid Gilchrist, and now he's out of a job, and you know he's back to food blogging. And uh, you know Mitch Kupchak's in there, and you know trying to hire a, a first-time head coach, and you know retooling things all over again. I mean, those ping-pong balls are no joke. Yeah, it's it's very rough. I just I in general though, what I appreciate about the lottery is that it's completely ridiculous to have a a night and have this system that truly does like shape the landscape of the league uh, and use ping pong balls and everybody sends their celebrity representative. Um, and sometimes there are, I guess I know deer and Fox from the Kings will be there, but, and then there are sometimes like owners, kids and the whole thing is just awesome and pretty unique to basketball. So, let's play the lottery simulator a couple different times here and see what well, see what's in play can we at least say that jerry west is going to be the guy representing i mean you, you said celebrity representative and you came up with De'Aaron fox i, I don't jerry know west. <laughs> you might have heard of him from the logo of the league he's going to be there for the clippers i didn't realize and, that yeah no it's 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 pretty funny we'll to play the simulator I, you, I thought jerry west was above that at this point in his career i'm, I'm happy for him that he's getting out and he seems to be doing really well in la but if I were Jerry West, I'd be like, I'm I'm Jerry fucking West. You, you really want me to go just be like the, the team ornament at the lottery? Well, I think he's he's thinking bigger. I think it's like some FaceTime before free agency, you know, reminding everybody that he's still a player. That is, and, that's a good point. <laughs> you a, know, sending rem- some telepathy towards LeBron, you know, who's home smarting after a game one loss. You know, that could be uh, – well, uh, that could be part of his scheme. The other thing I'd say too, real quick, Andrew, is that I've never attended the lottery. Yeah, um, and I think the people who have attended rank it very high on their list, right? Like if I you're in the back last with year, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, there's just a there's a whole like it's it's kind of the the best cocktail party ever for like the hour beforehand, and then uh, and then you show up and and get into the actual staging room, and it's hilarious. I've never been to the back. The like top secret room where they confiscate all your electronics and make you just sit there for 45 minutes like you're like a hostage. Uh, But that's on the bucket list as well. All right, let's play this lottery game. I played it on my end and I've got some interesting results, but you go first. Okay, so on my end, I have the Bulls at number one taking DeAndre Ayton. The Dallas Mavericks taking Luka Doncic, which would be pretty phenomenal. I would love a Doncic-Dennis Smith backcourt. Uh, And then 
Jerry West's L.A. Clippers taking Marvin Bagley the third, wow. number three. And by the way, it's a good point with Jerry West headed to the lottery because it, it, that's just a good way to signal to the rest of the league that like Doc Rivers isn't running that organization anymore. And I think that's a good strategic play from him and Steve Ballmer. Um, but then four, five, six, we've got the Suns. I, I I really do feel like the Suns are destined to fall in this lottery. I feel like there's some bad karma there after five years of like half-assed tanking and just disregarding any sort of plan and any any of your fans. I I don't think things are gonna break very well for the Suns. Um, and then Memphis at five and the Hawks at six. One other thing to keep in mind as we go forward, the Cavs and the Nets pick, that is a huge story for the whole league. And in my little simulation here, they fell to nine. If they do move up to that top three spot, like that makes it a lot more likely that LeBron is coming back to Cleveland. Stop right there, Andrew. Stop the presses because I ran (laughs) the lottery mock draft number one. The Memphis Grizzlies win. They take Luka Doncic. Okay. Number two, Cleveland Cavaliers jump up to the number two spot, and they take DeAndre Ayton. Number three, Chicago Bulls, Jaron Jackson Jr. And number four, our favorite team, the Phoenix Suns, get Marvin Bagley the third. So we both have Phoenix dropping in these. Yeah. I mean, this is. I think we need to go back to something we mentioned earlier. Don't you think that they're willing to basically auction off almost everything on their roster to get Luka? I mean, if this would happen, I mean, if they drop to four, isn't it going to be just like they the, should. the Markel Fultz situation last year uh, or some other situations we've seen before in the draft where you know a team just becomes enamored with a guy because of personal connections or whatever else, and right. it just is pull out all the stops mode? Yeah, and I think it's, it's tough to gauge – what's really in play with Houston or not with Houston with Phoenix because like you it it requires assuming that someone is in charge out there and that someone cares and that there is like a standard to adhere to and there and there may not be there's not really any evidence that like anyone out there is working with a like coherent plan but i think if you are phoenix Jokes aside and, and like pot shots aside, I you like this is it. You this has got to be the draft where you kind of go all in to get one more piece, and then it, like extending the mediocrity out any further starts to jeopardize the future with Devin Booker if you haven't like started down that path already. And I think like you go all in, get Doncic or Aiton in this draft, and then try to go sign someone this summer and and move on move on from there because that's like the only play if you're phoenix yeah also in my lottery simulator atlanta gets the number six pick and takes trey young so i think you know schroeder would be basically out the door uh you know within seconds it'd be sort of like that michael carter williams situation on draft night like wait a minute what's happening here am i being traded uh (laughs) i don't know what's the market like for schroeder at this point i don't know if anybody out there is like ready to roll the dice on old Dennis. Look, here's my point about the point guards, the disgruntled point guards in the Eastern Conference, and actually everywhere now. There's so many guys who are in situations where they should be traded that there's going to be a point guard for point guard trade this summer, definitely. You know, between Teague, Lowry, Reggie Jackson, 
uh, German Reggie Jackson, also known as Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> I mean, there's so many of these guys hanging around, just like you know, wearing out their welcome. That there's going to be some musical chairs. One of my favorite things that you've ever said is Schroeder is German for Brandon Knight. It's one of the meaner things you've ever said about a player, but also pretty accurate. Um, Wait, who's Brandon Knight? Uh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> We've taken enough shots at the Suns. I will say this, Marvin Bagley III would be a perfect Phoenix Sun and or a perfect Sacramento King. I'm getting some like Sharif Abdur-Rahim vibes from him where like he's going to go somewhere an average 24 and 12 for the next 10 to 15 years and no one will notice and it'll be like every year he will be on 30 to 35 win teams and Part of that is my Duke bias seeping through here, but I, I'm just not that impressed by that dude. One more shot at the Phoenix Suns. If people didn't read Anthony Slater's Western Conference preview piece about uh, Mike D'Antoni and Steve Kerr, it's on The Athletic. It's a long read, well worth your time. Buried deep in that piece, though, is a great anecdote about Robert Sarver, who asked Mike D'Antoni about 10 years ago, hey, Mike, if you're only going to play eight or nine guys in your rotation, why do we have to pay the up to 13 players? Can't we just pay nine? <laughs> <laughs> That's a winning mentality. Perfect. Only championship mentality <laughs> need apply down there in Phoenix. Yeah, we talk a lot about winning players. That's Robert Sarver, absolutely. Uh, all right, well, this is a good place to end. I just did the lottery simulator again, and the Celtics jumped up to number three, which is in keeping with the last month of bullshit Celtics fortune that we've had to endure. But look, if Boston gets a top three pick on Tuesday night, I I personally am going to pencil Kawhi Leonard into next year's team. And, uh, well, I slow down. Who who would you take if you were them? If you have a top three pick, oh, because I, you know, I think D- Danny will resist all the trade stuff for the ninth straight season. So who are they going <laughs> to draft and add to their stockpile? Uh, to me, the most Celtics ish player is um, probably Jaron Jaron Jackson Jr., which is a little bit cheating because that's who the mock draft has them taking. But uh, but I can't see them taking Aiton necessarily and Doncic. Not sure either. I don't know. I, I think probably Jared Jackson or or Luka Doncic would be the best fit for them. Um, unless unless they think that they could draft Aiton and coach up his defense under Brad Stevens because they are going to need a, a successor to Al Horford at some point. So I just ran it again, and I kid you not, Andrew, the Cavs just won 2.8% chance to get the number one pick. <laughs> so this is just like real life, you know? I guess I have, like, the real-life, uh, you know, Google Chrome uh, insert here. Uh, they take Aiden in this mock draft as well. I mean, what do you think? What would Cleveland do if they get a top three pick? Do you I think, think they're auctioning look, it for sure? Yeah, I think Boston and Cleveland are both close enough to a title to where if you if they get lucky on Tuesday night that is that pick is getting auctioned off to the highest bidder and, and Boston the one thing I will say is we have kind of like shrugged off the Kawhi possibilities here and uh, I don't know I mean, it may not be that much of a long shot if if they decide if they look at where the team is now and, and what's possible next year like a, a team with Kyrie and one of either Tatum or Jalen Brown and uh and Horford and Hayward like 
and and Kawhi, that's a title winning kind of nucleus. Like I, I think that they go toe to toe with the Warriors in that scenario. What about? I'm stuck on this idea of Phoenix trying to trade for the number one pick. What about a Boston Phoenix trade? Let's say Boston gets the number one pick, and then Phoenix starts like throwing some of its young guys and picks into the mix to get Doncic. I mean, can, how much is too much of like under 24 talent for Danny Ainge? I mean, you could have a whole farm club of these guys on his roster, uh, all on rookie deals. I mean, could you see a, a match there as well? Because I think that there's a possibility some teams would want to sneak in for that top pick. Uh, you know throwing superstar guys out there i mean Kawhi is the most obvious name i don't know if there's any others but a lot of time these trade packages come with teams that also have super high draft picks themselves that they're passing along right yeah i mean i don't know i you know me okay nothing in the world would make me happier than tj warren being freed from phoenix and having his career rejuvenated (laughs) under brad stevens and having it his game appreciated by mass audiences playing playoff basketball in Boston. I don't know if TJ Warren is not necessarily a switchable defender um, who would fit in this in this system, but I think like I don't know h- how much Phoenix can offer beyond that. Like Dragon Bender, what's his value at this point? Marquise Chris like could be out of the league in two years. I don't know what they really have. I mean Josh Jackson Bender. I mean. That Ooh, is, you, you know, excited if Josh if Jackson, you're Boston? Yeah, Josh Jackson checks a lot of Danny Ainge boxes. That's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't write off TJ Warren's switchability, though, Andrew. He switches back and forth between, you know, on-ball mistakes and off-ball mistakes. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Look, he's getting you 18 a game from the mid-range, okay? And silky smooth, so don't worry about it. And look, Rodney Hood had a great game today. Solid 13 or 14 points. I didn't see his final numbers, but my guys are doing great, okay? Ty Lawson. I think it it should be Rozier and the number one pick for Phoenix's pick and Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender. I think that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, well, I'm pretty tired of the Celtics winning, but here we are. Um, There's no more fighting it. Listen, Ben, I want you to enjoy your time in Houston. I, I hope for your sake that tomorrow night is a classic. And uh, I don't know. I, I, can't, I personally can't wait to see LeBron on Tuesday also. I mean, that's going to be a fascinating sort of situation for him to be in. And we'll keep it moving from there. We've got to recap the lottery later this week. And uh, I don't know. It's, why it's one of the best times of the year to be a basketball fan. There's no question about it. Guys, don't forget, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, concerns, trolling, lottery scenarios, trade talk, (laughs) all of it. We want it. And also, don't forget, Andrew, go to the Apple Podcast app, search Open Floor. It's two words, really simple. Once you find our page, scroll down. It says rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just like Uber, Postmates, any other app. Tap that five stars. It helps us spread the word and reach new listeners. Andrew, if your forehead is starting to grow larger and larger, go to forehims.com, man. Don't forget about that. Uh, until later this week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. Take, I can't believe we closed this podcast out with just 20 minutes of rambling about the lottery possibilities. But listen... You're the best. I will talk to you soon, okay? The whole thing was rambling, Andrew. (laughs) Until later this week, (laughs) I'll talk to you. (laughs) Peace. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? 
If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.